0: Mahomes has the time, delivers perfectly downfield, touchdown, Patrick Mahomes with a rope. This one out, touchdown. This time going deep for Beckham Jr.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime and Rotoviz Radio. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And as always, I'm joined once again by Mr. Sean Siegel, uh, one of the co owners over at Rotoviz and my co host here on the Overtime Podcast. Sean, I guess uh, we'll start with this weekend was a little bit better for you, I'm sure, than it was for me. Uh, A disappointing end to the Packers season. Uh, The Chiefs continue uh, on their rampage of second quarter demolitions uh, i think if there is any space uh, aboard that uh, Chiefs bandwagon, i think i might try and slide myself onto it here for for the super bowl but uh, the chiefs the chiefs roll on once again
1: they did and it was exciting to see that happen in the super bowl they're going to have to do a better job of not uh, creating those deficits if they want to come out on top against the 49ers it'll be interesting to see how i i think that Maybe a little bit more than in some previous games, the pregame coin toss is actually a pretty interesting element of how the Super Bowl will play out. The Chiefs have been winning and deferring, and that has both worked for and against them in that they have not been able to make those early stops. They've been creating those early deficits and putting themselves in comeback mode. Now, they're uniquely suited to those comebacks, and certainly using the quick strike ability the timeout ability there at the end of the first half and then getting that second half kickoff and that potential for really stacking a bunch of points on uh, just all at once makes them so difficult to deal with. But certainly, I think we would expect a different dynamic with the 49ers, with that running game, which for all of the plaudits, all of the enthusiasm, you know, all of the the praise that Derrick Henry has earned, and he definitely has earned it, it's a much more difficult matchup, I think, to face the 49ers running game and how they approach that running game. And one of the things that we saw in the championship games, and we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, looking at the game splits apps a little bit, but both the Packers and the Chiefs went into this game, went into this weekend with run defenses that were, uh, soft right perhaps their weakness as a team if they had one both of them facing elite running games and one team held up obviously a lot better than the other but i think that's not just defense i, I think it's the multiple ways that the 49ers attack and one of the interesting things about this super bowl is going to be how the chiefs and the 49ers both employ so much misdirection uh every single play but then also their head coaches their play callers are able to stack plays in a way that the defense just has so much trouble keeping up with they set you up for one thing they go in a different direction they have so many playmakers uh, good blocking fast guys and when you have that misdirection so difficult to deal with chiefs fans have dealt with this back to the days of Kyle's father with the Denver Broncos uh, during the Marty Schottenheimer area when both of those teams were powers, you know, all of those naked bootlegs. Uh, Obviously, the 49ers are going about it in a little bit different fashion with the running game right now. But this running game has worked for 20 years. Kyle Shanahan has added more wrinkles than ever, and certainly we saw that against the Packers.
2: Yeah, it was a uh, you kind of tease it there. We're going to talk a little bit in the first half of today's show about those uh, games over the conference championships and how things figured out there and how it might affect what'll happen coming up in the Super Bowl. We'll also be talking in the second half of the show, looking a little bit more ahead to the rookies that'll be coming in in this year's NFL draft. So, looking a little bit ahead to that in the second half of the show. Sean, you mentioned it there in the you know the the, uh, the kind of movement and the before, before the snap and how that worked both for both of these teams. Um, I think that you had on a key point there, and it was one of my fears heading into this game uh, this past week for the Packers, was if the, they were going to win that game, they needed to get a lead against the 49ers. This team is a bit like uh, what I predicted for a lot of the season with the Ravens. When the team doesn't have the lead is a, a very different situation to when the team has the lead. Uh, like we've seen in, the, I think it was eight times that Jimmy Garoppolo uh, passed in this game and there was a stage where I think he went maybe close to 40 minutes without actually throwing a pass. So uh, one of the touchdown drives, uh, I'm trying to etch all this out of my mind, but uh, one of the touchdown drives, uh, they rushed it seven times for 73 yards to get that touch down no pass attempts and that drive so they were just so dominant on the ground and you can do that when you do have a lead and you can uh, you know try and keep the ball away from your opponent the, the issue is if you go behind that just isn't a strategy and the Packers unfortunately uh, everything that I thought could have went wrong and in my worst case scenarios did happen from <laughs> from the very offset it started off well they stopped uh, the 49ers uh, on the first drive but after that it kind of fell apart in terms of turnovers at very crucial moments in terms of they had a fourth and one on their first drive uh, around midfield. They punted the ball back. There were certain things like that that when you're in a, a conference championship like this, you have to make decisions that can get you uh, the advantage and I thought they were a little bit afraid at the start and that came back to bite them but uh, no doubt the, the Russian attempts and the, the Russian performance by the 49ers was absolutely phenomenal um, overall. Looking at the the two games Sean, um, was there anything in, in particular that stood out for you that you wanted to, to talk about first um, out of the out of those four teams?
1: I think when you look at the NFC Championship game it was interesting that the two dynamics that really jumped out before the game certainly turned out to be the two that made the difference, right? The narrative heading in certainly is the narrative that we had, again, coming back out. We look at the Game Splits app, and you put up the 49ers during the regular season against rush defenses ranked in the bottom 10, which is where the Packers finished. And their point differential was 186 right? Compare that to only a a 4.3 differential against the rest of the defenses. And that's a a seven times they faced those bottom 10 rush defenses. And they just scored it well averaged over 31 points a game averaged over two and a half points per drive. And in those games, they rushed 33 times. And the pace, the 30, the 16 game pace would have been for 32 touchdowns, and 2800 rushing yards, right? So absolutely crazy numbers. And if anything, you know, obviously people know how this game turned out. It was even more evident during the game itself with the 49ers rushing 36 times, averaging 6.8 yards per carry, 243 yards, and four rushing touchdowns. And then you really pair that, like you said, with the need that the Packers had to get out and maybe not even get to a big lead, but certainly stay in the game. And you look at their splits – against top 10 pass defenses they faced those defenses six times this year and their points per drive were a full point lower. They the average 2.5 against non-top 10 pass defenses down to 1.5 against top 10 pass defenses. they actually won five of those six games with the only loss coming against the 49ers however Aaron Rodgers struggled and again this is what we saw in this game where certainly salvaged the overall numbers but not the game uh, in the second half but in that first half 12 attempts 65 passing yards 5.4 yards per attempt certainly no points and the game was over at halftime.
2: Yeah and I, I think when you look at it as well like I kind of hinted at it with that fourth and one call I haven't seen many uh, media outlets really talking about it because it was so early in the game obviously got away from them so far but w- when you look at the situation in terms of uh, play calling as well there was a lot of you know screen pass attempts, passes behind the line of scrimmage. And the, the 49ers defense is just so good, rushing with four and then having players who can come up and make plays. There's not a lot of broken tackles by this 49ers team. And that's something that I think is going to be interesting moving into the Super Bowl when we look at players like Tyree Hill, like, uh, you know, McColl Hardman, who we're going to talk about uh, and and the show later in the week. But when you look at players like that, and there's a lot of those kind of passes behind the line of scrimmage, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it's kind of... You know, that immovable force, uh, you know, versus, uh, you know, the, the indestructible object kind of argument where one of them's going to have to bend a little bit. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see which of them that happens for. I just thought, in terms of the the overall play called by the 49ers, and I've said this so many times that Kyle Shanahan, I think, is the most creative, and certainly in terms of the run game. Of play caller in the NFL, but some of those plays, like you know, in terms of how he was getting those players in space, and I know Sean, you're a big fan of Debo Samuel. We've talked about him a lot in terms of a uh, you know a rookie player being able to affect the run game. It's just uh, it's impressive again another area where it's not going to get us fantasy points in terms of his production, but what we're seeing him doing in terms of leading the way in some of those rushing plays is, is really impressive. Um, and of course, everyone talks about George Kittle and how good of a, a run blocker he is. He's almost turned into Gronk 2.0 in terms of uh, you know how how good of a blocker he he was in his time with the Patriots, but uh, I, I thought there was a lot of interesting things. But um, the the Chiefs again, I think, are a team who if they fall behind. I think with the explosiveness of that defense, or with that, sorry that offense that they'll be possibly able to claw their way back. And the problem is if you start to fall behind, and this game was a key example of that against us 49ers, they're not worried about trying to uh, put up passing numbers. They're happy to just run the ball down your throat and, again, take time off the clock and be able to affect the game from that way. So uh, we'll see what happens, um, you know, with the team and and their health heading into the Super Bowl. The bye week should help that. But um, I I was extremely impressed with that running game this past week. I guess, Sean, if we were looking at the play of the weekend, um, there's only one play for me that's stood out like in terms of giving you that, like I can't believe that happened moment, and that was that Patrick Mahomes rushing touchdown just before halftime. Uh, you know, it was looking good for the Chiefs; they climbed their way back into another second quarter performance. But I think on the list of things to happen on that play, uh, Mahomes rushing it in from the position he was in was not one that we were expecting.
1: Certainly not, and you can definitely see the difference in the offense again now that he has the mobility back. There were a lot of other plays in this game where he didn't necessarily scramble, but he extended the play, and he got very much that Russell Wilson type of vibe, and yet Russell Wilson, you know, with a bigger arm, perhaps with more playmakers, and that's very, very difficult to stop, and certainly the Titans were not the kind of team that you would expect to stop that. The Chiefs had great numbers this season against past defenses ranked in the bottom 10. That's where the Titans would have turned out. Uh, Their point differential jumped by five points per game. They scored eight more points. Per game, their points per drive jumped over three, which certainly is rarefied air. And all of those things are are not necessarily big surprises when you consider this Patrick Mahomes offense, the Andy Reid play calling, but certainly the numbers back up what you would instinctively uh, expect in terms of their performance. And, again, we saw that very much play out in this game where Mahomes threw it 35 times, 296 yards, three touchdowns. You mentioned the big scramble. And with him being able to add that element on top, the Chiefs are almost unstoppable. He's not going to be a Russell Wilson, not going to be – a a Deshaun Watson type of scrambler runner, but just those small plays. And we saw it the previous week against the Texans as well, where he extended plenty of drives by just jogging for the 10 yards when the defense had been stretched out to that point. You mentioned the 49ers defense and the Green Bay Packers play calling and how there just wasn't enough pressure on the 49ers. I think this is where the Chiefs can be different. One of the things that's interesting about their game splits is that even though their numbers against Poor defenses, poor pass defenses were extraordinary. Their numbers against the elite pass defenses were actually also very good. And I think that when you attack these better defenses, these elite defenses, you need to do a couple of things. You have to attack them both vertically, you've got to stretch them, and then also hopefully horizontally and create that misdirection. A lot of the Packers plays, even the short yardage plays, you know, there wasn't enough of a horizontal stretch, and certainly not a stretch with a misdirection. Most of their screen plays did not work, as you mentioned, with the 49ers just being able to come up and attack. If you can get those defenders deeper, you can create more space, more homes, and certainly you've got the speed of those Chiefs receivers. Then I think you have that opportunity there. Now, whether or not they will be able to actually execute those things against the 49ers i mean that's the question that we get to see in the super bowl the exciting part of that certainly i think that despite the 49ers strengths despite the 49ers as this just crazy rushing team with an elite defense the super bowl has some potential to become a game more like the saints 49ers shootout we saw uh, toward midseason, which was one of the more fun regular season games of the year
2: yeah, I think so. And there's a couple of other interesting things in the, the article that you pointed out this week. One of them being, uh, you know, the the success of this 49ers run uh, defense against, uh, you know, per Russian attacks. Um, so it's obviously, you know, we've talked uh, quite a bit about the Chiefs Russian attack this offseason and how it didn't, filter out to be what we thought it could be but over the last couple of weeks they've started to add some elements into that game that has really um, you know improved things and then we'll see what what the Chiefs can do you know against the the Russian attack off the uh, off the 49ers so obviously uh, quite a bit of time to talk about all the ins and outs of what might happen in the Super Bowl so we'll touch on that a little bit more as well on next week's show but uh, I guess with that let's get into the second half of today's show. Just before we get into the second half of the show, as always, I just want to let the listeners know about the exclusive 10% discount you can get as a loyal podcast listener. That is to a Rotovis NFL Pass available right now through the podcast homepage. That is rotovis.com forward slash podcast. Get ready for the 2020 season. There's a lot of stuff coming up that we're going to be talking about on the shows over the next couple of weeks that'll get you ready for success in your next fantasy campaign. You can gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. This and It is amazing value. Anyway, at the full value, when you get 10% off, even better value. And of course, it also helps support the podcast network. Once again, that is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. So, Sean, as we move into the second half of the show, we're going to look a little bit about the uh, Dynasty Command Center draft guide that's coming out, and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be fantastic in terms of what Curtis and the team have put together there. Uh, they've also done a little bit of drafting, which we're going to look through here um, in terms of the mock drafts. Uh, in terms of the guide, Sean, do you want to give a little bit of uh, information on, on what readers will be able to find in the guide?
1: Yeah, so we're going to have basically this this guide that has all of the things that DCC has done in the past. And now also all of the things that Rotoviz does a real complement to what we have on the website uh, right now, we're, I believe up to 25 or 30 of our prospect previews. And so we've been doing prospects since middle of December and looking at these guys, the profiles on the site, you know, their raw stats, the story of how they made it to where they are, the advanced stats, a lot of the, priority rotoviz metrics there and sort of where we see these guys going, obviously, dependent on the combine and, and how things develop through the summer. But you get a really early look at where these players are now. And I think that's a lot of fun this type of year. Uh, for some of the reasons that we're going to talk about uh, in the show later in the week, where we talk about some of the dynasty trade options and whether or not you would trade your 105 for this particular event turn or what range you would want to be making a move in and so then the draft guide takes all of that stuff it's going to have uh, articles by me Blair TJ Travis obviously Curtis has a lot of work in there looking at the different mocks and so one of the things that again is a lot of fun at this time of the year and we will see a ton of movement right which is one of the reasons why the guide has uh, volume two and volume three there as we move throughout the draft season but we're going to have three mocks in the guide, all of which there are four rounds. So we have just your regular mock, we have a super flex mock, and then we have a tight end premium mock. And looking at those three different formats and taking them all four rounds deep, uh, it, it really appeals to that dynasty enthusiast who wants to get out ahead of the competition at this time of the year and just have fun with it, right? I mean, this is for entertainment. It's for competition, but competition that's fun. Diving into these guys at this point, uh, I think, is one of the most fun parts of the entire fantasy football season. So we certainly have a lot of enthusiasm for that. And so today, to do a little bit more promotion for that, we're going to talk a little bit about the first couple rounds of the regular mock and not necessarily go into all of the spots these guys are going. To, we're going to keep a little bit for that of that for the readers. But kind of I wanted to ask you uh, what you're seeing here, if you were surprised by some of the guys who didn't declare, and how you would play this if you're looking to move out of any of these picks. And so just first off, I think we had this interesting question at the very top between DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, Swift looking like the favorite of draft analysts at this point certainly was very good right from the start, uh, taking some key touches away from Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle uh, As a freshman, which seeing what those guys, especially Chubb, have done uh, in the NFL, you know, that gives you a lot of confidence. And then his battle with Jonathan Taylor to perhaps be not only the top running back in the reality draft, but the top player in rookie drafts. And Taylor, just to give a little bit of a sneak peek at a tool that we've had on the site before, and it's going to be coming back for subscribers, the Running Back Prospect Lab, where you can put these guys in, fool with some of the measurements, you know, see what comes out in terms of uh, the perfect running back. Obviously, we had Derrick Henry as the Terminator a few years ago. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Taylor looks like he is going to come out and set a new standard above the one that Saquon Barkley set. And so when you're talking about anyone in that, uh, you know, at that tier in that sort of uh, stratosphere, you're talking about, you know, setting a completely new standard when the standard looking at Barkley, looking at Christian McCaffrey, some of these guys who have come out recently and really set the world on fire. I mean, that's hard to fathom right? And to think that he might not even be the top pick. Uh, Those two guys, very exciting. Do you have any thoughts on the very top of the draft and or, you know, if there are any receivers who would move in there for you?
2: So it's very interesting at this point, always, I find, because you're at a stage where it's pre-combine, it's obviously pre-draft, and there's a huge amount of movement, as you kind of tease there, that will happen. Now, some of these guys at the top of the board will stay there, but no doubt some of the guys, you know, that we've seen here drafted kind of late round one uh, early round two and the mocks will start to push their way up potentially uh, into that kind of top half of the first round potentially. And then likewise, there'll be some of those guys in the that range who fall completely out of, uh, you know, into second, third round contention. So it's always a hard time to, to really have confidence in where those players are going. Uh, I know something that you were going to ask as well was about acquiring picks. And something that I've been doing for the last year or two is, you know, trying to acquire that draft capital moving into this draft. There's been a lot of buzz around it for the last kind of 12 to 18 months. But what I would be looking to do is have those picks and, keep those picks as long as possible as we get closer to it because there, there's no doubt that there will be hype gathering around some of these players who, for this class in general Sean, you know sometimes there's a lot of hype around that class and then it starts to drop off as we get closer to this time of year I think that this class is going to maintain that hype and even some of the guys who are going later in that first round it has continued to grow and I think with the, the combine coming up with the draft, with where some of these players will fall into it, we'll think hopefully are really ideal situations I think that value will continue to grow so, if you are in in the position where you have some of those twenty twenty first, I think I'd be keeping hold of them for as close to your rookie draft as you as you possibly can. Uh, if you have an opportunity, I think to acquire some of them, I certainly would be looking. But it's going to be interesting because. Looking back to the last few draft classes, we had a lot of hope for certain players before the NFL draft, and we've seen situations where some of those guys then weren't drafted into what we would have thought was an ideal situation, and their value has kind of tailed off a little bit because of that. So it'd be nice to see some of these guys fall into situations where they they really can, uh, you know, have that effect from a fantasy value. And uh, I'm I'm not one to you know come in uh, when we're in the start of January and pretend I know all the ins and outs of the college football prospects. The, the draft guide will be a, a big help to me as well because when I know a lot of the, the top prospects, digging in deeper to some of those other guys is something that uh, I'll, I'll be diving into with the guide here because usually um, around the time that they just around about this time every year is where I really start to, to dive deep into these prospects. So looking forward to getting my hands and, and looking through all the different prospects and really getting uh, up to speed as the as the extra volumes come out to to get that information but uh, sean in terms of yourself uh, is there any of the guys maybe uh, going in that later half of the first round that you think could potentially push their way up into those kind of top three or four picks
1: one of the interesting dynamics of the mock drafting that we were doing is that in order to be ready and have this guide come out In the fashion that we wanted, one of these very early guides. We had to do uh, the beginning of the mock here when guys were still deciding whether or not they would declare for the draft. And obviously, you have what for me, and I think for a lot of other uh, certainly developmental dynasty players, the Debbie guys, are going to be frustrations. And certainly, if you have a pick maybe in the four, five, six range, and you were thinking, well, this pick may be the equivalent of a 101 in most other drafts, it's so loaded that you might be experiencing that same sort of disappointment. Uh, certainly if you're an Etienne, a Huber, even maybe a, a Najee Harris owner, those guys, certainly Etienne at the top, especially a surprise to stay. You know, A guy who has been so good and has absolutely nothing else to prove at the college level. Someone who, surprisingly enough, you're not necessarily seeing early in the first round in a lot of the reality mocks that were coming out, but certainly I think had the potential to have that sort of draft rise like a Christian McCaffrey where once people uh, dove into the variety that he could bring that hybrid ability, certainly the explosiveness if he ran the way that we expect him to run at the combine and perhaps even being a top 10 NFL draft pick, to stay and perhaps experience what we saw with Bryce Love. uh, Owning both of those guys in some Debbie formats, it's certainly frustrating when you have that potential loss of value and and don't see the immediate benefit from from having those guys at this point. Having said that, you look through the depth of this draft, and receivers like a Jalen Rager, a Tyler Johnson, Justin Jefferson, they're still going to be in that bottom half of the first round range, perhaps with a running back like, you know, Benjamin. And so even people drafting late, how what we would think are some good options at this point, obviously then the question is, you know, who's going to be this year's Hakeem Butler, someone who was liked actually by both um uh, and analysts, you know, guys who, a, a guy who everyone thought looked great on tape, had good numbers, and yet, for whatever reason, the NFL community had some very real questions about. Certainly, you see someone like uh, his teammate, Alan Lazard, who had a similar statistical profile, a similar uh, height-speed profile, falls out of the draft, and then we've talked at length about his comeback, his emergence with the Packers this year. You wonder if that has any effect on how uh, maybe even the Cardinals see Butler and how some of the other NFL teams are looking at those decisions to pass on guys like that. Someone who uh, is athletic, someone who is productive, someone who brings the size to perhaps score those red zone touchdowns. And so it'll be interesting to see if we have followers, but regardless of if it's that particular style of player who falls or if it's someone else, then you know, certainly every year we have guys who the enthusiasm for after the draft really diminishes because they're no longer in a position where we would expect them to get that early career value. And that I think leads me into sort of this question with the Alabama wide receivers. They don't necessarily have the numbers that you would like for guys who are expected to be drafted where the draft expectation currently is. You know, you contrast that with some players maybe like a uh, C.D. Lamb or even someone who had some injury issues this year, both in terms of Chenault Rager having some uh, team environment issues perhaps as well where the offense didn't support them in the way we would like, but that their market share numbers are still encouraging. Certainly their full career numbers encouraging. And you look at the contrast between where those guys are going to go And so where do you see the risk there? Is it the fact that the Alabama guys may really benefit from this generational QB, and when he wasn't there, they were not as impressive, or is the risk in some of these guys who came out of worse offenses, maybe had some injuries, and now they could fall deeper into the reality draft as a result?
2: It's always, it's always a tricky one to dive in and, and to check those things out. And unfortunately, it's always one of those things until they're on the NFL field, it's hard to know, but that's what the, the guide is here for and that's what those uh, Rotoviz tools are there to guide you towards to be able to have those opportunities to gain value in those drafts. Sean, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up the segment by saying uh, in terms of the listeners, if they want to get their hands on uh, the first edition of the draft guide, what's the, the quickest and easiest way for them to gain access to it?
1: Yeah, jump into the site, go to that DCC draft guide tab and pre-order today. The draft guide will be coming out very soon.
2: Yes, yeah, and uh, I can't wait to get get hold of it. I have already gone in and got a pre-order, so looking forward to getting diving into it soon. That's going to do it for today's edition of the show. As we've mentioned on the last couple of shows, we're doing uh, split shows each week now. We'll have one uh, coming out earlier in the week, usually late Tuesday, early Wednesday, and one coming out then on Friday, early morning time for your morning commute. So do be sure to be subscribed to it on all different platforms, and of course, with that, uh, my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over to Ireland. As Sean mentioned there uh, he t- we're teasing some of the work coming up on the site but there's all the great work that is up there as well including his part of the piece that we talked about today on the conference championship so do head on over check out the rest of that we just give you a brief look into it on today's show and until we're back with another show later in the week have a good one